Hey, what's up Seekers, welcome back. When discussing Maimonides' relationship with mysticism, we need to separate two different questions that are often mixed together. They are, number one, what was Maimonides' relationship with Kabbalah, and more specifically, was Maimonides a Kabbalist? And two, what was Maimonides' relationship with mysticism, and more specifically, was Maimonides a mystic? The reason these are two different questions is that while most would say that all Kabbalists were mystics, not all mystics, even all Jewish mystics, were Kabbalists. Despite traditional usage of the term Kabbalah, as far as the word is used academically, it refers to one specific form of Jewish mysticism flowering in the 12th and 13th century, with other forms of Jewish mysticism existing before, after, and even simultaneous to it. Be it Merkava mysticism and Heichalot mysticism of the Second Temple period and the Talmudic period, or the various forms of Jewish mystical pietism from the German pietists in the 12th century to the Egyptian pietists in the 13th or the 18th century Hasidic movement. As far as academics are concerned, all of these are forms of Jewish mysticism, but none of them are forms of Kabbalah, even if they do precede it and succeed it in significant ways. The point is that one may have been a Jewish mystic at various points throughout Jewish history without necessarily having been a Kabbalist. A good example of one such Jewish mystic who is not a Kabbalist, living in relative proximity to Maimonides and operating in adjacent intellectual realms, is someone like the poet and philosopher Solomon ibn Gabriel from the 11th century, and another yet closer to home example of a Jewish non-Kabbalistic mystic is perhaps Maimonides' very own son, Abraham Maimonides of Ramban Rambam. Check out the video made by Philip on Let's Talk Religion about Abraham Maimonides to learn more about him. The first issue at hand, then, is to separate out the terms Kabbalah and mysticism and understand that just like a Toyota is a car, but not all cars are Toyotas, so too, while a Kabbalist is a Jewish mystic, not all Jewish mystics are Kabbalists. A lot of the otherwise really well-informed, really well-thought-out, and really well-presented scholarship addressing the relationship between Maimonides and mysticism has been severely crippled by a near-complete disregard to define and use terms in the discussion in any clear, careful, and consistent way. Scholars asking whether Maimonides was a mystic without attempting to define mysticism go on to produce some awfully misguided and confused conclusions. It's not my style to pick on any one specific scholar, but since this criticism has already been voiced by others, I will share it as a keen and important example. As we mentioned in the second video of the series, one of, if not the most sustained cases made against the Maimonides as mystic hypothesis was by Menachem Kellner in his 2006 Maimonides Confrontation with Mysticism, in which he endeavors to show that Maimonides' central philosophical and theological aim was to combat what Kellner calls the proto-Kabbalistic mysticism typified by thinkers who preceded Maimonides like Yehuda Halevi in his Kuzari. However, the slight problem with Kellner's otherwise brilliant work, and it truly is, is that as David Fried, Mark Saperstein, and others have pointed out, despite the title, Maimonides' Confrontation with Mysticism, the book really has nothing to do with mysticism, and would much better have been titled Maimonides' Confrontation with Magic, Myth, Enchantment, Religious Essentialism, or Particularism. And you don't even have to take my word for it. Allow me to quote you from the author himself. In an introduction to a subsequent work, Kellner writes, The fullest expression of that approach is found in my fourth book, Maimonides' Confrontation with Mysticism, a misleading title for a book which is really nothing about mysticism at all. You could see how using a word in a title that is supposed to mean something for a book that really has nothing to do with it might be a bit confusing for the conversation. And I really don't mean to pick on Kellner at all, he's a fantastic guy and a great scholar, but this is really symptomatic of a lot of the discussion that has been surrounding the Maimonides and mysticism discussion, and I think it's really, really important that we use our terms carefully, accurately, 
and consistently. In Kellner's defense, he may not have chosen the title himself. That might have been done by the marketing team of the publishing house, and I thank Justin for pointing that out to me. Now, to be fair to Kellner, a vision of an enchanted and magical universe may indeed be a salient and popular feature among many mystics and Kabbalists. However, these are certainly not essential features of mysticism, and rejecting them does not mean that one is rejecting mysticism in some of its purer forms. In fact, many of the things which Maimonides gets labeled an anti-mystic for opposing, magic, superstition, anthropomorphism, were things that were opposed by many of the mystics and Kabbalists as well. As Alexander Altman points out, it should by no means be summarily concluded that Maimonides' rejection of practical mysticism, or magic, implies the absence of a positive relationship with theoretical or speculative mysticism. Even though Maimonides vigorously combated astrology, the writing of amulets, and other forms of magic, it does not necessarily follow that speculative mysticism is alien to him. After all, even Kabbalistic literature contains passages rejecting magic. Many Kabbalists, in fact, were right in stride along with Maimonides in their mutual rejection of an anthropomorphized, corporealized god, the belief that god has some kind of body. They were adamant in their insistence that the statements of the sages about god had to go through a serious conceptual process of hafshata, of undressing, to strip them of their corporeal and base surface meaning. The Kabbalists saw the inverse, hagshama, a corporealized reading, of what should be these abstract divine concepts, much like Maimonides, as a rookie mistake at best and heresy at worst. Arguably even going beyond Maimonides at times, with their negative theological depiction of God as Ein Sof, the infinite about which nothing at all could be said. The Kabbalists, like Maimonides, believed that Leis Machshavat Klal, that no thought, no human thought is capable of grasping God at all. Therefore, rather than conflating mysticism with peripheral concepts that orbited on occasion, like anthropomorphism, enchantment, myth, magic, or essentialism, we might do better to provide a working definition of mysticism that perhaps addresses some of its more central features on its own terms, and then we can proceed to ask, was Maimonides' philosophy properly mystical, following the nature of the definition which we are working with, and not some sort of random topics that get attached to mysticism through the ages? Relying on a mix of audacity and some of the good scholarly sources on the subject, we can attempt to define mysticism as the belief that one may directly apprehend, encounter, commune, participate, unite, or identify with, or be in the presence of, what is perceived to be ultimate reality or God, along with the practices which aim to bring one there to that moment of encounter or union or presence, the theories employed to try and make sense of it, and the ethics and behavior which flows and follows from it. Or in more philosophical language, we can talk about mysticism as the perceived overcoming of the usual subject-object dichotomy that typically dominates our perception and conception of reality. Now, as we discussed in the end of last week's class, it's pretty clear that Maimonides wasn't a Kabbalist or some sort of proto-Kabbalist, as evident from both his loud silence about the Kabbalistic tradition and the absence from his writings of any of the central themes of Kabbalah as found in earlier works like the Sefer Abahir or the Sefer Yetzirah. Motifs like the Sfirot, the Cosmic Tree of Life, the Kabbalistic Angeology, Cosmology and Eschatology, their Theory of Angels, the Origins of the Cosmos, the End of Days, and the World to Come, and their linguistic mysticism of letters and numbers, so typical of these early works, none of these really find any mention at all in Maimonides' writings. For anyone who thinks that Maimonides was a Kabbalist, the absence of all and any of these motifs is a bit of a glaring thing to wrestle with. Therefore, for all the reasons mentioned here and in last week's video, the prudent course of inquiry in exploring Maimonides' relationship with mysticism is to separate out Kabbalah from mysticism and ask not if Maimonides was a Kabbalist, but if perhaps he was a mystic. 
If Maimonides the philosopher was a mystic, he would most certainly have been a philosophical mystic, which we might define along the lines of Gideon Freudenthal as a mystic whose experience involves philosophical content and which can be accounted for by philosophy. The example that Freudenthal gives is of a philosopher who, proceeding discursively from proposition to proposition to conclusion, has an experiential realization of, say, a pantheistic or monistic doctrine in which they realize in that moment of insight that they are nothing but a mere mode of God or reality or the absolute and are wholly and entirely united with it and the rest of existence. Here, the unitive experience of mysticism is precipitated by and understood with the categories of philosophy, making it philosophical mysticism. The next term on our list for this discussion that needs some clarifying is rationalism. As we began to say in the previous episode, there's an assumption that Maimonides was a rationalist and therefore by definition must have been opposed to mysticism. Over the course of this series, I would like to question that assumption and ask, why do we assume that rationalism is opposed to mysticism? Why do we assume that Maimonides was a rationalist? What did it mean to be a rationalist in the 12th and 13th century? Did it mean the same thing as being a rationalist post the Enlightenment in the 18th century when it was contrasted with empiricism? Or what it means today with the connotations that it's picked up, things like emotionlessness, atheism, and scientific thinking? What exactly does this term mean in the context that we're speaking about it? Bringing some critical awareness to these words that we're using mysticism and now rationalism, will help us undo some of our unfounded suppositions surrounding these central concepts, allowing us to have an unprejudiced conversation about the issues at hand. As Julius Goodman writes, many diverse manifestations are included under the concept of rationalism. These differ not only in degree of authority they ascribe to reason, but also in their conception of reason. Unless we are satisfied with using rationalism as a mere catchword, we must in each individual case try to comprehend its character, range, and depth. Understanding the historical context here will help make sense of the words we're using. Rationalism during the Middle Ages, pre-modern rationalism, was explicitly understood as a religious, sometimes even spiritual activity, in addition to a philosophical one. Exercising one's rationalism, in the pre-modern sense, was understood as a religious, sometimes even spiritual activity, in addition to a philosophical one. For people like Aquinas, Ibn Rushd, or Maimonides, rationalism was a tool, a handmaiden to theology, the book in one hand and the ecclesia in the other. For Maimonides, philosophical rationalism was both a tool to defend his faith as well as the proper way to execute his religious duty to know God. For Maimonides, the proper use of the mind was an integral responsibility of the Jew, and indeed he makes it elitistly clear that the only way one can be a good Jew is by possessing an accurate conception of God, and that takes rationality. Rationalism, therefore, for Maimonides, despite what it came to mean centuries after his death, was an attempt to know and come close to God. It was an expression of love, desiring to bring the human closer to God via knowledge. With a clearer understanding of these central terms, grounded in some good historical awareness, we may have a chance of having an intelligent conversation. We'll be able to move past those objections to reading Maimonides as a mystic, which are based not on a refutation of the evidence, but on the tacit assumption that Maimonides, as a rationalist philosopher, cannot have been a thinker whose philosophy culminates in mysticism, to quote Gideon Frodenthal. We're going to have to put aside our tacit assumptions and question our presuppositions if we hope to make any process at all in any of our thinking. And hopefully, with an open mind, we're going to examine the evidence for Maimonides' philosophical mysticism. Beginning with the circumstantial evidence and moving to the evidence from the words of Maimonides himself, and hopefully, just hopefully, we might end up learning what this great teacher might have to teach us about philosophy, Judaism, rationalism, and mysticism. 
Opening up our assumptions will stop us from closing our minds to a unique opportunity to peer through a rare window of human genius in its quest for the infinite and the unthinkable in the human quest for God. Thank you for joining us. Thank you to our patrons who allow us to produce this work. If you can afford it and are enjoying the content, please do consider joining them and supporting us. Thank you for coming. Thank you for seeking with us. It's a pleasure to be producing this work for you alongside my great friends, Justin and Philip, who are collaborating with on the series. Thank you for watching and until next week, keep seeking.